In its quest to provide an open forum for discussion of controversial issues, this station allows hosts and their guests to express themselves without any significant censorship. You're advised that any views expressed by the hosts or their guests are not necessarily the views of Tuggy Entertainment or its partners. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. Vivian is here to talk to you, to encourage you, and to show you how she had a successful homeschooling experience with her Wildflower Academy, and that her kids turned out great, and that with God's help, you can create the same experience she did. From her beginnings in Hostert, West Germany, to Dallas, it's been quite a journey, and her abilities to adapt, survive, and thrive are what make her unique in homeschooling. So have your pen and paper ready. It's The Sociable Homeschooler. And now, here's your host, Vivian McNinney. Where can I go then from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I climb up to heaven, you're there. If I make my grave my bed, you're there also. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand will lead me and your right hand hold me fast. Psalm 139 verses 6 through 9. This is one of my favorite psalms and reveals in a few lines the very essence of God. Here's the psalmist speaking eloquently for us, putting forth every possibility he can come up with in his quest to hide from God, to be willful and do what he wants to do. He stumbles on through the thought of hiding in the darkness after the lights departed, and then with an awe shuck shrugs, he admits, darkness is not dark to you, the night is as bright as the day foiled again. My oldest son soaked up the full impact of this darkness image. Even in the completeness of a blackout backstage, he was as visible to God as if it was a sunshiny day. For the sinner, this is bad news. For the believer, it's steadying. Think about how well you know your children, their strengths and weaknesses, their likes and dislikes, their moods, their foibles, their petty rules, their open hearts. Face it, you know them better than anyone else, even themselves. Then remember how much you love them, especially when they're asleep. Yes, when I'd had a particularly unmelodious day, I used to go into each of my children's rooms deep in the night and stand and look at them gently slumbering and allow the peace of my unconditional love, hitherto enigmatic, embrace me warmly and experience a deep and powerful love that sustained me through their waking hours. God knows and loves us so much better than we know and love our own. I can't hide. I can block God out, but he won't block me out ever. Remember that. Good morning and good afternoon. Welcome to The Sociable Homeschooler. I'm your host, Vivian McNenny. My guest this week is Laura Grace Weldon, author, farm wench and relentless optimist. And you'll have to wait for more. Today is my two-year anniversary. Thanks, Toginet, Jill, John, Eric, Kerry, Sam. A book excerpt is going to sneak in here this week, and I may have time to chat a bit on London happenings. So grab a cup of tea and a quirk, which is a chocolate biscuit with a smooth chocolatey filling exclusive at Sainsbury's. Sounds as though I'm doing a commercial, doesn't it? But I'm not. And join me for another hour of a slightly different culture from the English side of the pond. Well, back to the fact that I've been doing this for two years just for a moment. Yay! I'm very excited. I have lots and lots of podcasts. I have 100. This is show 100. That's a lot. That's a lot of talking. 
Anyway, my youngest went back to college on Saturday. She really didn't want to. She said she felt like a kindergartner not wanting to go back to school. But I reminded her that she had never been a kindergartner, so what did she know? But that didn't stop the tears. I knew exactly how she felt. I had the same feeling going back to my boarding school when I was 12. Can you hear the violin? I had to do it for seven years. No one-year course for me. So we went out for coffee and we had a long chat and I think I helped her to see that God has a plan and she's exactly where he wants her to be at this moment. So to just hang in there easy for me to say, but that's my job. It's the uncertainty that bothers her. She's one of my planners. She has to be prepared for what's to come and she feels adrift when her future isn't clearly mapped out before her. All that nonsense about slowly working towards the future doesn't cut it with her. She wants to be there now. I told her that during the seven years, I rubbed that seven in, I was at school, I would say at the end of each term, This time next year, I'll be here until my final term when I was leaving school and had no visual of where I was going to be the following year. And the feeling exhilarated me. But then, as she said to me so often, that's how you felt, mum. I'm not you. Telling her that I was having exactly the same feelings of uncertainty about what was going to happen this coming July was about as much help as an electric blanket on a camping trip. Hey, that's the best figure of speech I could come up with. And it didn't help at all. We were talking about her, not me. So our conversation really wasn't very uplifting in hindsight, but it seemed to be while it was going on, although her eyes did glisten every now and again. Mother-daughter sharing and comparing feelings. And I ended with, we still have to make plans. We still have to organize and prepare whether we know for sure what's going to happen or not. And she nodded and we made our way home. And her blue-eyed father and I took her to the station, the one on the other side of London. And it was a good thing too, because we encountered closures and had to rush on to another departure point requiring a good deal of stair climbing and descending and walking, toting her three bags, one for each of us. And when we left her at the turnstile at her platform, bravely hauling her baggage, seen and unseen, we kept each other posted via text and she made it home to her Lee bedroom at the same time as we made it home to our Beckenham flat. She was looking forward to going home in a way, her bedroom, the warm house, the family, but lamented that her Lee room wasn't her London one. And I did my usual moving around in the evening, not so much because she'd only been home for a couple of days. And I psyched myself into remembering the piece of my office, her room, when she was away, but decided I didn't like having to let her go to get it. How could my parents have waved goodbye to me and my brother at the airport in January, knowing they weren't going to see us until the middle of July? We were only 10 and 12, but then again... They also were not me. I've told my youngest to come home for the whole of half term in four weeks, not to bother working extra shifts at the coffee shop. She is a disruption, but one I wouldn't miss for all the coffee beans in Brazil. And how un-British is it for our building of 20 flats not to allow animals of any kind? No birds, dogs or cats or animal of any kind is the wording used in the lease. That just came up this week when I was showing a lady around the flat who had a cat she'd rescued from the shelter. I can understand dogs, they yap or bark, especially when their owner leaves, but a nice quiet cat or a bird that can be silenced with a cloth over its cage or a hamster? Or a harmless, silent snake. And look at that. The 
perfect segue into my book excerpt this week, taken from the chapter entitled Pets, Pets, and More Pets. We've dropped my oldest son at college in Santa Fe and are now settling into a routine with only three children at home. Of course, the dynamics take an interesting turn. We now had one son safely ensconced at college, and although he was really not that far away in driving distance at least, we spoke several times a day on the phone. We missed him a lot. My husband would come into the living room and I'd see him rubbing his eyes and hear him sniffling and I'd say, you've been in Ian's room again, haven't you? And he'd nod his head and well up again and I'd say, you'll have to stop doing that. And he'd say, I know, it's so difficult. And he'd sob and bury his head on my shoulder. After 18 years of our firstborn's almost constant companionship, the child who elicited this comment from his father when I was pregnant with my second child, I love this little rugrat so much, I don't think I have any love left over to give another child. Well, that child had left, and it is, or was, difficult. That great old healer time, with a little bit of help from me, solved the gaping room problem by encouraging our second and well-loved son, Simon, to move into the beloved son's room to break the association between the front bedroom, with Guy Smiley still hanging on the wall, and the older sibling, who'd gone further educating. We had to admit to ourselves that although we missed Ian greatly, life was different without him. Family dynamics took a shift, and Simon, our easygoing, fun-loving, school-skipping son, took the lead without missing a beat. There was no third parent, he was miles away in New Mexico, to police the siblings. They were free to behave the way they wanted to when mum and dad weren't watching. The girls had Simon all to themselves. He loved it. He became the oldest by default while maintaining the middle child mentality. He had no cares, no responsibilities, well, none that he took seriously enough to interfere with his life, and the undivided attention of two adoring sisters. What more could a brother want? The only requirement to be in his orbit was their unquestioning support when he decided to ditch school in favour of some outdoor pursuit and convince me of its academic worth. I found they played more. We all did. My homeschool teetered on the verge of unschool for a brief hatus. Well, to be perfectly honest, for the rest of its life, really, for the remains of my homeschooling career, I was never able to completely recapture the predictable solidarity of student life that had flourished in the Wildflower Academy of yore. But at the ages of 15, 13 and 11, they were ready to learn in a different way, led unwaveringly by their blue-eyed brother. He encouraged them to get their work done as fast as possible so that they could have outdoor adventures. The girls fawned over him. I have a photograph of them posing alongside his lounge bed one summer, holding his glass of water and brandishing his straw. There really should have been a fan. Smiling up at him in rapturous adoration. He still elicits those feelings today, and not only from his sisters. On the domestic scene, he would con them into making his bed with the promise of a small coin reward. And when time came for him to pay up, he'd contrive another game, guess where the money's hidden, and somehow managed to end up not settling his debts without actually incurring any bad feelings. They'd make his bed spurred on by his words of flattery. 
You can smooth the sheets so much better than Mum. They talked to him while he was in the shower, keeping sentry outside his bathroom door so that not a moment would be wasted when he finally emerged. They'd follow him around while he watered his crops, often finding themselves at the dousing end of the nozzle. They'd sit with him while he perfected his steak sauces, tasting and making suggestions, marvelling at his culinary expertise and flamboyant flair. They'd make koofy coffee in the afternoons with freshly ground beans, sweet with syrups bought at the store and diluted with milk, professionally frothed using an electric whisk. They even volunteered with him at the animal shelter in the afternoons and at the weekend. The blind adoration was eventually curbed when he became interested in a girl. Overnight, he forbade his sibling cheerleaders to come anywhere near him when he was in mixed company, for fear any potential girlfriend thought he was already taken. But that was still in the future. For now, life in our 12th and 13th year as homeschoolers underwent a distinct shift in focus when the student body decreased by 25%. And... I have to go on a short break, so replenish your cuppa, and when you return, I'll be talking to my guest. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Okay, we will. We're going to teach you how to tell your money where to go. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Learn how to be a savvy investor from someone who has your best interest at heart. Pam Otten is a financial advisor who loves to help successful business owners and entrepreneurs understand the mysteries of the investment world. And she's not afraid to share that knowledge. Pam is an unashamed Christian and qualified kingdom advisor, which means she's trained and committed to integrating biblical principles into her financial advice. Pam believes investing isn't rocket science. This is the financial advisor who's in your corner and truly understands and cares about you and helping you achieve your goals. Securities and advisory services are offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA, SIPC. It's Intelligent Investing with Pam Otten on Toginet. Fertility is an extremely personal subject. Tune in Monday nights at 9, 8 central for the Fertility Forum with infertility psychotherapist and expert Phyllis Martin on toginet.com. This is the show about infertility, gaining support, and information. Phyllis will assist you in navigating the disappointments and decisions that often accompany the difficult journey from diagnosis to conception, pregnancy to parenthood. She is passionate about her work and is an expert in the donor egg field, bringing both her personal and professional experience to all she does. Ms. Martin has extensive experience in helping patients cope with infertility, pregnancy loss, adoption, surrogacy, miscarriage, pregnancy termination, and creative family building. She knows what you're going through, and she's here to help. It's the Fertility Forum with your host, Phyllis Martin, Monday nights at 9, 8 central on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Well, 
I'm back, and my guest this week is Laura Grace Weldon, writer, book editor, nonviolence educator, and marginally useful farm wench. Her words. She lives with her bit. Oh no, she doesn't. She lives with her family on Bit of Earth Farm, where they raise cows, chickens, bees, produce, and the occasional ruckus. Her recent book is Free Range Learning: How Homeschooling Changes Everything, an idea-packed handbook that includes the insights of 110 homeschooling families from around the world. Welcome, Laura. Oh, thank you for inviting me, Vivian. Well, you're more than welcome. And I have to tell you that this week I have had so much fun reading everything that you've written on your um, websites and your blog and laughing and just thoroughly enjoying getting to know you. So <laughs> I probably <laughs> I probably know you a whole lot better than you know me. Well, obviously, because I've been reading all about you this week and I've well, been thoroughly you. enjoying it. Well, first off, um, Laura, how are you? I'm, I'm just marvelous. Well, good, good. And uh, how's the farm and the weather? Uh, in Ohio, we are having um, all sorts of winter storm warnings, so I'm expecting uh, a great deal of wind very soon. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. So what do you do with your animals? Do you just leave them out or do you bring them in? Well, this is the, um, this is the joy of uh, free-range animals is they get to do what they want. And we've, okay. we've discovered that um, chickens left to their own devices uh, have their own personalities. So some of them really like to be out doing their own thing and some like to hide. And mm-hmm. cows seem to prefer uh, uh, blustery weather. So they're out there in the rain and they come in on, on sunny, bright days that we seem to think are lovely. They like to hide in the barn. Oh, really? So, oh, okay. So maybe the direct sunlight is a little bit too much for their eyes. Yeah. 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 Well, good, good. I'm so glad. And you called your farm Little Bit of Earth. Um, yes. Yes. And um, why Why farm? Were you? Did you grow up on a farm? Uh, did your husband or is this something that you decided to do as you grew up? Well, I think many of us, uh, our, our grandparents and great-grandparents, grew up on farms but i i did not um, my husband and i did not grow up on a farm and we always we always wanted to raise our kids um with the with the benefits of uh kind of the hard work and the fresh air of of being on a farm and it didn't really happen for us until um oh maybe 15 years ago and we we were uh we weren't even homeschoolers at the time we had uh some very difficult experiences in school and it all came to a head with a very violent interaction um, in the in the hallways of um, mm-hmm. school for my oldest child, and mm-hmm. and uh, we we got out of town. We we bought a house in the country and started homeschooling. Mm-hmm. Um, could, would you mind telling us about that um, interaction in the in the classroom on the hallway? Because you said your son was in was a, a freshman. In high school, right when this happened, so um, you'd been you'd been dealing with um, school and public schools with all your children. We, they were all in public school for uh, quite no, a long the, time. No, the, no? The, the youngest was uh, still a baby, but um, okay. I I, uh, I I come from a, a family of teachers. My father, my grandmother, mm-hmm. my aunt, and I uh, I could see that my kids were not uh, as many kids don't not fitting well into school. It wasn't really working for. For their different kinds of intelligence um, and that mm-hmm. sort of thing, I volunteered a lot. And um, at the time, I was teaching uh, conflict resolution to other school systems. And um, my oldest would come home and tell me about all of these uh, problems with uh, what he called a gang. At at a time, was our award winning suburban high school. 
mm. and had all these stories about uh, a girl who was assaulted in the bathroom and a boy whose arm was broken and a father who tried to uh, talk to the parents of some of these kids and he was attacked. And mm. I, I volunteered at the school all the time. I said, sweetheart, these have got to be, you know, uh, urban legends because, you know, mm. these aren't talked about. This can't be happening. Mm. And I, I tried to, you know, talk to the school system about this, and they poo-pooed the whole thing. But um, my oldest, I don't know where he got his sense of sarcasm, but <laughs> these uh, these kids would hassle him, and he'd say, oh, you know, what, bad mood? Drug dealer's not giving you credit today, which <laughs> didn't go over too well. Um, mm-hmm. But um, the uh, the beginning of that school year, we we our family was having a great deal of personal crises. My husband had been in a bad car accident, was home with a broken neck, mm-hmm. and I was babysitting babies trying to to pay the mortgage. And my son called mm-hmm. from high school and uh, said that these kids had shown him a gun and said he wasn't oh. going to live through the day. Oh. And I couldn't even go get him. I was trapped mm. at home with babies and no car seat. So mm. I told him to run. I said, get out, mm. just run. Mm. And he mm. came home. Um, I called the school. I felt like I was in some kind of bad uh, movie of the week sort of thing. I called yeah. the school yeah. and I said, you've, you've got a child in the classroom with a gun. And these kids carry pagers and knives all the time and you aren't aware of it. And what you need to do is go get him from the classroom. Don't call him down. They know full well, you know, to hide something. If you're, they're called down, please go get him, you and the assistant principal, and call the police. And because um, I was worried about every other student there. Yes, and yes. I found out uh, later in the day that they had not done any of that. We ended up yeah. by having the police come to our home, and they sat there at my table and said that everything my son had been telling us about the assaults and the... Um, fights and that sort of thing was was true and when i talked to the superintendent and offered to do an entire uh school-wide conflict resolution course for free to to work on this he recommended that i homeschool my son even though uh, i had the honors uh, child and these kids were you know had spent time in the juvenile detention mm-hmm. facilities he said it was mm-hmm. safer to homeschool to homeschool and um, did you go? I, did you go on and, and um, help the school with conflict re- resolution, or did, was that just the end of your relationship with they, the school? They rejected any. Uh, they rejected that. that. They um, they said it was the word of one student against another, and I, uh, I of course, have kept ties with uh, many people in that community, and it, the problem has continued to get worse. Uh, but we um, sad. we started homeschooling the next day. It was. It's not my recommended method of pulling all your kids out of school no 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 well that you know when it gets that bad you don't really have an awful lot of choice thank goodness well it didn't sound as though um you could have made that choice to homeschool you're one of the prime people that would turn around to somebody you know who suggested homeschooling and say how can i you know i can barely make my mortgage how can i bring all my children home and homeschool them but you know there is a way well i I think that we get promptings in life, and we are uh, we are guided to make choices that are the best for ourselves and our family. And when we ignore those promptings, things seem to get worse. And I could look at my children and see that they were uh, struggling and that the situation wasn't going well. And everything I was reading was telling me that there there are better ways to learn and there are freer ways to express your gifts. 
And I kept saying to myself, but, you know, we can't abandon systems that need to be changed. We have to work within them. But that was not the truth for our lives. And I'm, I see now that we should have, we should have, of course, homeschooled from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Well, you homeschooled, you started exactly where you started and there's no, you can't, you can't look back and you moved forward and, um, have raised some, you know, magnificent children, I'm sure, you know, the future of, of our world. And um, in a way that is very interesting. And you've written a book about um, homeschooling and you've written um, about how you advocate um, a child's right to learn naturally. Did you grow into this? Was this when you first started homeschooling, were you sort of frantically trying to do it the same way as the school? Or did you just go into it with the very gentle um, flavor that obviously you're doing now. <laughs> I, <laughs> I I think I very much started out with the the school approach, which mm-hmm. I I don't decry the school approach. I whatever works for each family is exactly what they should be doing. Um, I felt the the particular burden of having gifted kids, and I felt they they had to be they had to be pushed, and they had to excel in all these areas. And um, I very gradually learned. Um, that children push themselves to excel when Mm. um, what they perceive as coercion is lifted. So Mm. uh, I'm not advocating kids just, you know, you know, running around and and not learning anything. But um, I particularly learned this through my, um, my third child who was diagnosed with ADD in school and was one of those, uh, you know, drop your pencil and crawl around on the floor after it and just mm-hmm. could not seem to learn math for anything. And when he became my homeschooler, I tried those same things of, you know, sit in your chair, get your work done. You know, we're all going to go to the park when you get finished um, and pressured him more and more. And I lay awake at night thinking he is never going to learn long division. He's just going to be doomed. Mm-hmm. And when I stepped back and I looked at what he taught himself, he um, used, for example, math, used all the time. He made his own models. He designed and cut balsa to make, um, make things. He, um, was, was easily able to, you know, add and subtract and double recipes and, um, did research on, you know, airplanes and all kinds of stuff on his own and was very natural at using math. It was only when mm-hmm. I sat there and imposed, um, my understanding of what learning was on him that uh, that I saw any symptoms of what the school called ADD. Mm-hmm. So I, I mm-hmm. did learn gradually to relax. Well, I, that reminds me of a, a story that um, I've written about with, with my children. Um, we were talking about feelings and trying to um, explain know how, how asking our children how they felt and my my second son who's now a zookeeper um he said i feel rushed and i thought oh you poor thing here we are we homeschooling we've been homeschooling for years and i was really hands off and he did a lot of his own thing outside he read late you know and and really wasn't writing writing or doing any of that stuff and yet he still felt mm. rushed and he went on and he got a degree in science and is now working in his dream which is the um, zoo with animals and he did it his way he didn't do it my way <laughs> you know, he wanted to do it his way and it really worked so well, I that's, can understand that's what research shows is that yeah. um, you know they we all come to 
this life with with particular gifts, and those gifts can't be um, pushed. And the more that, um, you know, when they do studies and they show highly instructional adults working with kids, the the kids, those uh, interests and and abilities, they almost kind of uh, pull them underground. Yeah. Well, we have to go on a break here, Laura. Um, We'll be back in just a few moments to continue our conversation, so don't go far. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Hey, moms, get ready for Living the Dream Mom with Nina Fry. Thursday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Living the Dream Mom is about the true realities of motherhood, the beauty and the rewards of watching your children grow. All these moms have something in common. They put their kids first. It's not about the kids all the time and the diapers and the bottles and the breastfeeding. It's about showcasing the mother in motherhood, real moms in the real world. Do you get it? Now that's what the show's about. So every week, let's get together and we'll share these great stories with you guys. And I hope by the end of the show, you'll be saying, you know what? That is my life. Nina gets it. And I can't hardly wait to see what she brings me next week. Don't miss the next Living the Dream Mom. It's Real Moms in the Real World. Thursday mornings at 10, 9 a.m. Central. Living the Dream Mom with Nina Fry on Toginet.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. I love it. Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen know it. Join these soul sisters on toginet.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. Showcases two sides. One, to help entrepreneurs showcase their products and tell their story of their happily ever after. And two, to interview people who have realized their own fairy tale and doing something to benefit others. This show is here to help folks who have an idea and want to get it off the ground, as well as to inspire people to make the world a better place by doing something extraordinary or out of the box to help others. Both of these entrepreneurs have their own businesses and websites. With more information on their passions and successes, first for Debbie, fairytalewishesinc.com. And for Deanna, thenextbigzing.com. Believe in your fairy tale to make your zing come true. With the Soul Sisters, Debbie Glickman and Deanna Cohen on toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney. The show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNinney. Um, I love the fact that you use the um, words free range because when I asked you about um, whether or not your animals came inside when it was rainy or snowy, you said you leave it up to them because they're free range. So free range <laughs> learning is the same thing for our children as it is for the animals. You provide shelter, obviously, because the cows come inside and you think it's a beautiful sunny day and they they. Um, seek shelter um, but they don't have to they're not herded into the stables or the barns and um, the chickens aren't made to go in their coop the same with children correct yes yes um, we uh, that doesn't mean that we aren't um, uh, don't have rules and don't expect them to do their chores and that sort of thing and um, what I've interestingly noticed though is how much more uh, cooperative um, 
kids are and how much more generous they are with their time when they feel that that level of mutual respect that mm-hmm. we uh, honor their interests. We're uh, we're happy to take them to bagpipe practice or to um, you know get them stone carving tools for Christmas instead of normal <laughs> normal things because we honor uh, their choices and uh, it seems in response they're they're very happy to uh, help us bale hay or uh, split firewood or you know do chores around the house and it's mm-hmm. um, I think this is how humanity has has normally lived together is, is mm-hmm. without so much um, a heavy uh, coercive children need to be segregated and uh, treated apart from society. And so um, you've got chores. There are things that your children do that maybe they wouldn't choose to do, but they see from the life on the farm and from um, the responsibility that they have to the earth, to the animals, to you, um, that there are certain things that, you know, they have to they have to do. You can't love doing everything. Well, I suppose you can have an attitude <laughs> and right. love doing something, can't you? You can, you can change it like that. So. Well, I, I don't think it, it requires living on a farm by any stretch. In every, in every household, whether you live in a, a tiny apartment or a, or a farm or wherever, there are, are, are there are tasks necessary to keep the, the family functioning. And when, when it, it's expected that everyone shares those tasks, that uh, parents aren't the ones that are rushing around and delivering their kids to all sorts of extraneous activities, and the kids are the little the little kings and queens, and the parents are the ones uh, struggling, um, which puts kids in a in an oddly elevated place. When mm-hmm. when you share those tasks together, when everybody works to put the meal on the table and get the laundry done, and uh, you know that kind of stuff, I, I think that um, it, it not only teaches kids very valuable skills skills for their own adulthood, but it um, it puts everyone kind of in a um, a harmonious relationship that mm-hmm. it's too easy to to miss with without reasonable expectations for some level of work each day from kids mm. and they followed their own interests and um probably had to did they have to do certain um work i mean obviously if they can't read then they're not going to be able to do an awful lot because that's one of the foundations i would think of of learning although well i don't know what do you think well, in, in, uh, I, I suspect I've had it very easy as a homeschooling parent. My, uh, my children read um, early and easily and have always loved to read. But uh, the research I've done has shown that um, quite often we don't have to push kids. And very naturally, children um, may not learn to read until they're 7 or 8 or 9 or even 10. And while they're not reading... Uh, in school, that is a crisis because everything else is learned through the written word. And But in a homeschooling situation, that isn't a crisis, and kids don't have to feel bad about themselves. They can continue learning uh, all sorts of subjects without having to read that themselves. And then when they are uh, when their brains mature to the level where they are able to read, they tend to uh, rapidly make up any difference that that parents may have been worrying about. And they are they go from reading, uh, you know, nothing stop signs maybe to uh, reading, you know, sixth grade level books quite easily. Mm. Well, I, I had um, a homeschooler who was oh, in his late twenties on, and he said he didn't re- he didn't learn to write 
because he didn't have to write um, until he wanted to write. He got he he um, met a girl somewhere and they didn't live close enough to meet up, so he had to write her letters. And he said, <laughs> "I learned to write really fast, you know." So <laughs> when the need is there, when that burning desire is there, it doesn't take long for them to to um, learn how to do something that they really want. Um, and that well, that brings me to, I mean, what about I, I you know people are worried perhaps parents are worried that you know if they don't formally teach their children all of these subjects are they going to miss something um, what, what do you think um i certainly have ascribed to that theory for a very long time and it wasn't until i was uh researching the book that i i truly understood that uh what children what any of us take up as learning is uh, it's very much like you can lead a horse to water sort of a situation. We can certainly uh, say, for example, science. We can uh, we can teach all the principles of science. We can do the subjects year after year, but it doesn't mean that they are uh, understood or absorbed past you know any sort of test that we impose. They can very easily forget it. If you think back to your own mm-hmm. education, you really absorbed the things that you were passionate about at the time. It really captured your interest. And science is a particularly good example because, um, you know, scientists, famous scientists will tell you today that it was, it was their interests that drove them forward and unlocked the principles of science for them very naturally. And mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be across this whole spectrum of introducing all the the fields of science to children mm-hmm. in an orderly fashion. It can actually, uh, it comes quite naturally to children if they're they're all excited about collecting rocks or looking at bugs or, mm-hmm. um, in the case of my vegetarian daughter, she was all interested in animal anatomy and um, wanted for Christmas one year uh, scalpels and a group of animals to dissect. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and unfortunately, though, they can't do that at school. You know, you've got to try and unlock every child's mind. So that's, you know, you just show them a little bit of everything and see what piques their interest. And it really never gets detailed enough until they move on to university. But at home, of course, we can do that. And and um, fortunately, that's exactly the way um, we were able to teach our children as well. Although, you know... There were certain things that I really, really liked teaching and certain things that I really, really didn't want to, you know, sort of I wasn't, I, I had no interest at all. So they didn't, they didn't, I mean, if they were interested in it, it was because they were interested in it and they oh, did right. it themselves. Yeah. Well, yeah. let me tell you about our science club. We, we had a science club for years. Uh, it was all boys. And um, at the, in, the, in the early years, we, we parents took turns with our homeschool science club of planning um, some kind of wonderful hands-on activity and explaining what that meant and how, how it was supposed to work. And when it didn't work, we, the parents, uh, figured out why and explained that. And it was, it was uh, and got the materials. It was uh, quite, a, quite a production. The kids loved it. And we gave them time to hang around and play afterwards. And as they got older, 11, 12 years old, we gradually, probably because we had so many other things going on in our lives and not because we had some theoretical shift, Mm -hmm. we left more and more of that up to the boys. They had to come up with the projects they wanted to do. They had to come up with the materials list. 
they had to figure out why things worked and didn't work. And we saw a huge surge in enthusiasm because it was suddenly their science club. And they Mm -hmm. built a hovercraft. They built a huge Mm -hmm. trebuchet. They built uh, mousetrap cars. They... Mm -hmm. um, they actually won two science awards on their own because of this. And I think the, uh, the, the greatest example of why this worked is that of the oldest kids in this science club, only uh, two had fathers with any kind of college degree at all. And yet out of these oldest kids, one is at Harvard on scholarship, one is finishing his master's, um, one has is getting a chemistry degree. These kids have excelled in extraordinary ways. Um, and I think the Science Club has something to do with that. It was, mm-hmm. it was their own self-propelled excitement about what they were learning. Yes, and... You know, sometimes those experiments don't work and, um, you know, (laughs) sometimes, um, you know, my children would have balloon wars. Well, they actually made a trebuchet. They made made two, I think. These were huge contraptions. We have massive field behind our house. And they had so much fun. In fact, all of the neighborhood came and joined in and um, they ended up filming it. And it just became a massive multi um, (laughs) cultural event. And um, even even the girls joined in in, at their levels. And oh, it was just it was just wonderful. Oh, it is fun, isn't it? Yes, yes. What did did your kids uh, hurl with their trebuchet? What was there oh the balloons they filled up you see they got they they conned the girls into filling these balloons with water and i mean they i'm talking hundreds and hundreds of balloons (laughs) by girls i'm meaning our daughters i mean the other girl from the neighborhood came and actually were were allowed to fling the balloons so my my daughters had to do the ours uh, were uh, ours were pumpkins were their most they were their favorite things to hurl and they go pretty far because they're so heavy yeah, yeah, I'll bet, I'll bet. But uh, well, gosh, that sounds great. Um, well, we're getting close to um, our second, or yeah, I think it's the second break or third break. We have we have one more section section to go. And um, please feel free in the next segment to talk as much as you want to um, about your book, or we can talk about um, my favorite thing, which is what's wrong with just letting children be. You know, just letting them think under a tree or in a tree or while they're milking a cow or feeding the chickens and uh, you know what's wrong with that and and today society seems to think you know children need to be turned on every single moment you know and uh, are you there i'm, yes, I'm there. here those, those I, all I sound like there. good things to talk about yes yeah. yes we will and um also one of the, your blogs that i read about cooking um had me laughing because my husband and i well my husband mostly he does he's he's a really good cook and he you know, just a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And we say to him, please write it down so that when we come around to wanting to make whatever it is that you've made, we have something we can follow because we can't just kind of a little bit of this and a little bit of that. And he doesn't. He doesn't ever write any of his recipes down. So they're just in his head. So, All right. So we're going to go on a break. I'm talking to Laura Grace Weldon, writer, book editor, nonviolence educator, and um, liver on Bit of Earth Farm where she raises cows and chickens and bees with her husband and her four homeschooled children. So we'll be back in a moment. How do you handle toddlers, teens, and tirades when homeschooling? That's what we're working on now. 
It's Vivian McNinney, the sociable homeschooler, and we'll be right back after these. Have you ever wondered why America is facing such a health care crisis? Then join us for Dr. Peter DeVette Live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Doctor, doctor, give me the news. He'll answer your health care and medical questions and share with you his knowledge and opinions on topics ranging from holistic health care to spirituality and wellness. You'll find out about the roots of your health care challenges versus symptom management. The holistic approach, how the spirit, mind, and body connection is critical in both the development of illness and the solution to illness. How emotions are directly related to physical illness and how to read your body like a book. Dr. DeVette will also go through your personal questions and how you can navigate through the illness maze. Supplements, medications, therapies, treatment options, surgeries, all kinds of things related to your health. Dr. Peter DeVent live every weekday at 1 p.m. Central on toginet.com. Lindale Link with host Holly Rand comes Mondays at 10 a.m. Central on toginet.com. Linda Link is Lindell's first and only internet radio broadcast. Holly, tell us about it. It's really something from my heart that I want to be teamwork um, for the entire community to get the word out about everything that's going on here. We're talking to the entire community of Lindell. This is not limited to just businesses or just parents or just teachers. Simply to get the word out about your cause or your company, you must go to where the people are. And today, people are on the internet. Lindale Link. Lindale, Texas is a growing chain of of business, education, commerce, community. Together, Linda Link can create one strong chain of communication. Check out LindaleLink.com and then check out Lindale Link, the radio show. Lindale Link with host Holly Rand. Mondays at 10 a.m. Central on Toginet.com. Welcome back to The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney, the show for any homeschooler at any point in their homeschooling career. Join us as we plow through the problems, tackle the challenges, and celebrate the successes. It's The Sociable Homeschooler on Toginac. And now back to your host, Vivian McNenny. Well, Laura, I bet on your farm, your children had plenty of opportunity to go off on their own, whether they were walking the dogs or um, just taking a ramble to get away and just be by themselves. And did they use that opportunity? Um, absolutely. It's, um, I think that, uh, you know, we're all constructed a little bit differently, and, and many many people really want that excitement and clamor of uh, being out there in, in the crowds and being busy. And, and fortunately, in, in my family, we are all pretty geared to um, peace and quiet and contemplation sort of time, so we mm-hmm. get along pretty well. Mm-hmm. Yes, I like the way um, you talk about contemplation, um, having a contemplative life. I, I like to go on retreats, and one of the retreats I go on is a Benedictine retreat, and they're very contemplative, getting into the inside and um, working on your interior, which I think is very important because it's, it gives you so much energy. It's like having um, a hot drink on a very, very cold day. You warm yourself from the inside, and it's much, much more satisfying than just piling on the sweaters well surely we are uh you know we are we humans are constructed in a way that uh we're supposed to spend um peaceful peaceful time getting to know ourselves and to to uh really be in touch with our hearts and our modern world pulls all of us away from that so much um you know with our busy tasks and with 
uh, our constant connectedness, um, and and kids especially are learning through you know video games and the TV on and and having phones and all that kind of thing. I um, I know that when there was a power outage on my parents' street, my my mom asked the the teenagers next door to let them know if they needed anything. And a few minutes later, the girl next door came over, and she said, "I don't know what to do." And my mom asked her, "Well, what you know? What's the problem? Did you did you need you know to get somewhere?" And she said, "No, I I don't know what to do. There's no TV, and you know I, there's no computer. I don't know what to do." I know, sad. Yeah, <laughs> my favorite we're thing at, to we're not at peace with ourselves. You know, we're yeah, pretty lost. That's right. Yeah, well, not every, and not everybody's the same. A lot of people do need company, but I don't think that a computer and an electronic um, pal is the kind of company that um, that they need. I, and there's nothing wrong with it in small doses, you know, like oh, everything absolutely. else. You just, yeah, you can just whatever's healthy for you, and um, you know, sometimes it's a good relaxation. I do think it's it's more important uh, when children are very small and their their brains are developing and their habits are developing to to make sure they have plenty of time for uh, play and pretend and daydreaming and not to be rushing around as as much as kids tend to do. Mm-hmm. You know, certainly exactly. certainly time with friends and and all yeah. that sort of thing. But I know there are an awful lot of overscheduled two year olds who mm. just don't have any time to just uh, laze around. No, no. Um, and you have a cow. You have a Guernsey cow called Isabel. Yes. Yes. Yeah, her yes. name's Isabel. And I used to live on the island of Guernsey. Oh, did and I you went, really? Yes, and I went from England to Guernsey and found, even from England, well, I found Guernsey to be very, very slow-paced. And um, they would tether their cows on any green patch of land around the island because some of the people that owned the cows had no land because, you know, being an island, it was tiny, so land was at a premium. And so we'd be driving along these lanes and you'd see a cow just tethered in the middle of his or her, obviously, her little um, patch of green. She'd be tethered. And um, I've got photographs of me standing next to these Guernsey cows and it's just you, you have your own Guernsey cow. And when where my children went to college in Dallas, they were opposite a farm that had Guernsey cows and actually sold their milk, their their un you know pasteurized um, milk and yogurt and, and cream and cheese, and so that was that was wonderful too. I don't know these things. I, I'm attracted to those kinds of things, so I find a lot of that. You know, I look for nature in the city. Oh, and yeah always find it my children say why are we going this way i said well because we pass a field and we pass some flowers and uh, you know and they go oh okay <laughs> <laughs> well Silly. i think we're we're very drawn uh you know as we're drawn to to nature and and the studies mm-hmm. show that just you know just paying attention to a tree outside your window every day is is the mm-hmm. sort of thing that restores your soul just a little bit mm-hmm. absolutely so you just so recognize a- that about yourself Yes, yes. Um, so Isabel has calves. Do you keep any of her calves? Um, yes, she's she's got two calves with her now, and um, mm-hmm. she she mostly keeps her calves for a year or two. So it's she they um, they stay together. We don't separate them. So she's she mm-hmm. lives a rare life for a, a dairy cow. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and so after that, you sell them. 
Yes, yeah. and we, yeah. in despite uh, despite her, you know, nursing her calves, we still have huge amounts of milk to make butter well, yeah. and cheese and yogurt and all that sort of thing from. Well, yeah, I, I suppose as long as you keep milking her, she's still going to provide enough milk for everyone who needs the milk. Yes. Isn't she? I mean, isn't and that's amazing too, isn't it? I mean, that's just wonderful. It's a, a natural thing as well. So, but it's really quite a miracle to turn grass into such a protein-rich source. It's pretty, yeah, pretty amazing. Absolutely. So, uh, you get close. Do you get close to your animals? You have steers. Do you have? Is that right? Yes. And yes. that you sell for beef. Um, yes, we do. Which is okay. which is particularly hard because I'm I've been a vegetarian <laughs> most of my life. So, <laughs> I it's um. It's always uh, um, heart-wrenching, you know, to mm-hmm. feed them apples and carrots every day and then after mm-hmm. a year or two to send them off. Um, yeah. But mm-hmm. they do have good lives while they're here. Yeah, yeah. And your chickens? Well, I saw a picture of um, a couple of the eggs um, getting ready to hatch, and they were different colors. Why? Uh, we have a bunch of different kinds of chickens, and uh, we've oh, had yeah. we have many generations now of different. Uh, I, I suppose in dog world, those would be mutts, but they're uh, mm. you know mixed oh, chickens. Okay. So we have eggs that are brown and green, and some pinkish ones, and yeah, yeah. I saw that. I just wondered if it was what they ate that that colored the shell. Or? No, I think um, we had a few generations ago several kinds of breeds called Americanas and um, Aracanas. Mm-hmm. And they're South American birds that have brightly colored green and blue shells, and um, these these have uh, evolved into their own versions of colors here. I think. Mm-hmm. Right. So you have? Do you sell eggs? You, you must sell your eggs because I'm sure yes, I've seen you've got do. a lot of chickens. You yes, can possibly we've got 55 call those chickens, eggs. So we we do sell fifty five. Did you say? Yes. Right yeah, now, that is a lot of chickens. <laughs> well, there there are a few roosters and a few geriatric hens out there that don't produce mm-hmm. eggs. But yeah, yeah. And do you ever use any of those for your dinner table? The chickens? Yeah. Um, no, we um, they they just uh, there's like a chicken nursing home out there for the elderly ones, and um, it's it's actually quite interesting um, to to watch chicken interaction. And I know when we bought chicks one time from a hatchery, um, my daughter was pointing out to me how. The chicks raised by hens outside are so hardy and so smart, and they respond to all of the different nuances that, you know, that the chickens have different sounds for when a hawk is passing over or mm-hmm. come over here, there's food. And, you know, two- and three-day-old chicks are doing all this problem-solving, like how to get up a ramp or how to mm-hmm. go through underbrush or something. And mm-hmm. the chicks that you buy from a hatchery are raised just with other chicks, and they don't have... Mm-hmm. They're not outside. They don't listen to, you know, hens and roosters and uh, have any interesting role models. And these chicks mm-hmm. are uh, stymied in their ability to fend for themselves. They're uh, just completely helpless. You put them out um, out in the pasture, and they just uh, they don't understand how to do a thing. It's very interesting. It's almost, uh, Claire said, boy, these um the chicks that are raised with their moms just seem so much smarter, you know, with their moms in the community of chickens than these ones that are segregated, mm-hmm. like like I used to be in school. <laughs> well, exactly. I'm thinking, what an analogy. I mean, that is absolutely perfect. You put all these chicks with other chicks and they learn nothing. You keep them in this mixed group of older and younger hens and their mums and the roosters and, you know, they're, they're healthy and, and ready for the world. Yeah. Yes, there, yeah. there is even a health difference where the, the chicks raised together are very fragile. They just, 
they just mm. seem to die of anything and and the mm. the other chicks are just so hardy and and it's amazing it's very interesting <laughs> Well, Laura, we've come to the end of our time and we really haven't covered everything that I would like to have covered. So you're probably going to have to come back and talk to me later on oh, again. And, um, well, um, I've been chatting to Laura Grace Weldon, author of the new book, Free Range Learning, How Homeschooling Changes Everything. You can connect with Laura and I please, please, I encourage you to do it at lauragraceweldon.com and learn more about, more about her lifestyle from both her websites and her blogs. And you can also find the link to buy her book or you can just go straight to Amazon. And we talked about all kinds of things and we didn't talk about lots of things that I wanted to talk about. So um, we talked about her cow, Isabel, and the chickens and our children and self-reliance or not. We didn't actually get into that, did we? And we talked about contemplation and um, how much she loves her family and uh, mindfulness and quietness and everything that we need in this stressful world in which we live. We all need to just go and buy a farm, just like Laura. Well, thank you anyway, Laura, uh, for being with me this afternoon. I really enjoyed our time together, and I hope you have a terrific weekend. And I wish you, you great so success much, with Vivian. your book. Wonderful oh, you're welcome. to talk to you. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. All right, so that brings me almost to the end of the show, um, but I have um, a couple of things that I want to um, share with you. Well, I'm on LinkedIn, by the way. That's my little nod to social networking. So if you're already there, come and find me. And um, my blue-eyed cowboy and I have been going to see um, a few movies, and to date we've seen Sherlock Holmes. I slept through that, I have to admit. So now I have to have a cup of coffee and something to eat before I go to the cinema, especially if it's an action-packed one. And um, we went to see Mission Impossible, which was great. And we went to see The Iron Lady yesterday, which was wonderful. And um, that's it for another week. Uh, tomorrow, we are going to go to a movie show quiz event with the theatre. And um, I'm sure we'll have an enjoyable evening. I pity anybody that's got me on their team, though, because I'm not really good at that kind of thing. And um, I'll say thank you to my handsome husband, who believes in love at first sight. Our four children, who are the result of that belief. I miss you three in Texas. The hardworking staff at Toginet Radio, thanks for putting up with me for two years. Uh, my guest, Laura Grace Weldon, and you, my faithful listeners, especially Anne in Lindale, Hannah Tina Rosemary, and don't forget to listen to Sandy Fowler on Monday at 1, and Ali Lepreet later on today, so just stay tuned. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord show you his kindness and have mercy on you. May the Lord watch over you and give you peace. Doop, 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 doodle. Thank you for joining us for The Sociable Homeschooler with Vivian McNinney on Toginet.